Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today we will have part two of our interview with very worshipful brother Clayton Levine. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Today on the Working Tools Podcast, we have our, our usual group of hosts. We have Worshipful Brother Stephen Chung from Prince Charles 153 in Kelowna, British Columbia. Worshipful Brother Jared Dunham from Penticton 147 in Penticton, British Columbia. Very Worshipful Brother David Colbeth, who's a in King Salmon Lodge number 60 in Auburn, Washington. And I'm Matt Apple, and I'm a member of Mill Creek 243. And we meet in Montlake Terrace, Washington. And again, we have our, our special guest with us, uh, very worshipful brother Clayton Levine, who is the Assistant Grand Secretary for Washington and a member of Tenino 86. Mm -hmm. I get this time? Hey, I remembered. And, uh, and a couple other lodges in the, the, the South Sound area. Um, so, Clayton, we had talked in our last episode about your, your analogy of the schools um, and the different programs of the schools and different sort of uh, levels, tiers levels of schooling <laughs> that that, uh, that sure. we were comparing masonry to. Uh, one of the other analogies you used in your emails or metaphors in your emails was about uh, happy days and the, the progress of some generations of brothers through the through masonry, um, I guess. A, am I remembering that correctly? <laughs> and two, what are your what what exactly was your metaphor and where are we? Well, I don't I just threw the happy days era out there because that was the era, you know, of the 50s when um the membership of our fraternity was at its peak, late 1950s, early 1960s. Um where you know we had lodges, you know, like Centray had 400 members, and we had some lodges in uh up in your area that had over a thousand members. Back then, uh, from what the guys have told me, you know, back when I joined in 96, there were still many past masters from that era that said that, you know, they were doing degree work, degree work, degree work. It was just, it had gotten to the point to where they weren't doing really anything else. They had no need to do anything else because they were so busy doing degree work. And so a lot of the things that, uh, that was discussed, you know, in this book and also in this podcast, you know, it didn't really occur. You know, they got the lectures through, they barreled through them, got the degree work done. The next meeting, the next week, you know, boom, boom, boom. It was almost like an assembly line from what some of the guys use as an analogy. And now that the degree work had died down, you know, by the time, you know, by the time I joined in the mid nineties, you know, the degree work was occasional instead of constant. And so what do we do during the meetings? Well, um, you know, basic business, you know, old business, new business. Any education? Well, I headed down to the library to get the education because I wasn't getting it in the lodge. And there was a lot of my peers that dropped off, demitted, dropped NPD. And so there's not too many that are my age back from the 90s that are still active today. Um, I think, frankly, that we've gotten a lot better in that regard over the last decade in uh, bringing education back into our meetings. But there was, there was a while there where there was a, this dip. So um, I don't remember well, how- why, why, do you, why do you think there was that dip? Why do you think those uh, guys dropped off? 
because there was nothing there for him. Um, so when I joined, I was in my early 20s. And so the next generation up was in their 50s and 60s. So there was that generation gap. So there's the guys that were from the 50s and 60s, you know, the sock hop era, the happy days era, like I was saying. Well, I can't relate to that. I wasn't born yet. You know, I was I was a 1980s kid. You know, then, you know, Huey Lewis in the news, techno pop and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to sock ops. And so there was that kind of that culture gap. There was nothing to really link my generation with what those guys do and what they, their interests were. So. So they would uh, left them trying to find, try to find something else. But the reason why I stayed with the lodge behind me is that I knew these guys. They'd known me since I was a kid. So I had basically I was in the lodge with a bunch of grandpas and uncles and i don't mean that as a you know literally it's like i had eight grandfathers and 16 uncles they, they were my family i grew up with them so that that's what really kept me in tonight lodge and then as i learned personal lessons from them like i would learn from my actual grandfather and did that i was able to move those so when these new guys showed up there i was able to you know Hand that knowledge down as those as those brothers passed away of old age, and I was able to carry that baton. So it was the fraternal aspect that that you were experiencing that kept you there, mm -hmm. right? And of course, throughout that process, you did learn, like you say, you learned from them. And so, I, you know, I think that's um, a common thing um, these days is that the fraternal aspect seems to be what keep some of these guys there and you know when we look at some of the older generation that's around our district now um i think that's what's keeping them uh there is you know this is their social network this is their fraternity this is uh these are their brothers they're they're not necessarily there seeking the education like the new guys are coming in right uh but it is really cool because those guys know a lot of the traditions and history and whatnot from our district that they're able to pass down. Um, it just needs somebody to draw it out of them. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, um, and then sometimes, you, you know, it takes a little more uh, ingenuity to do that. You know, like, um, Jared is is uh, now the the education officer down for his lodge, and you know you can understand the challenges in trying to you know find the right education pieces and and deliver them where everybody's engaged, right? And you know sometimes it's 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 a real challenge to get the older guys to engage in the education factor. Mm -hmm. now, although can... a lot of them have uh since passed because they were you know the world war ii generation uh when i joined like as just like my my actual grandfather and so some of these guys are a little bit more into the education factor because they had joined more recently or they came in from another area that was more education oriented so the the happy days era is is you know and i, and I don't want to say yay it's gone um but it, it's just it's an it's another era it's a different time period in our history and it's not necessarily compatible with what we have today 
I now have a now that I know Jared is his lodge's education officer, I have a mental picture of Jared going, I will not be ignored, worshipful master. <laughs> Bringing oh, come on, education. you know it's hard to ignore me. <laughs> so I I find myself wondering, and I've heard this conversation before, and I'm I no doubt that it's correct. And since we can't come up with an alternative Marvel style timeline, we'll never know. But do we think that if lodges had been more deliberate about education in the the years leading up to the heyday in the 40s and 50s, or not the heyday, but the the peak in membership, and we had why well, maybe we'd have a you know twice as many lodges or three times as many lodges as we do now to in order to support all those members and that do we think that that would have assisted in the subsequent reducing the subsequent dip in membership? I mean. Some of it's societal. People aren't joining churches anymore either, and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm not. It's not all. It's not all on us. But do we think that that would have helped to abate that? I, Jared, I was going to say I, I can pretty much guarantee you that if we were more education focused back then, like the way we want to be now, we wouldn't have had the big jump in membership that we have. That the post, as I've said before on the podcast, and once again we'll say it again. The worst thing to ever happen to Freemasonry was the jump in membership in the 1940s and 50s. Because they and, and they've shown is that the, most of the people were joining for the fraternalism, not for anything else. And I think if our if the lodges were more but if the lodges were more education-based back back then, I think that the membership would not have grown as much. But we also know that there are we've we've come across the papers where they've been they were complaining about the lack of education at the turn of the 19 of the 20th century as well so chicken egg maybe but i'm i'm I, i'm going to put out there that if if we were more education based back in after post-world war ii that there would not have been the spike in membership that we got i've uh, now that i think about it more as i try to think before opening my app but you know a lot of times it doesn't happen i wonder if with the the what you want to call them so there was the world war ii generation and then there was the the vietnam generation the hippies or whatever the, the late 60s through the 70s era where it seemed like a lot of people were searching for a spiritual connection i wonder if masonry had been better prepared to offer that if there would have been again less of a there would have been less of a peak and as jared was just saying but less of a valley as well yeah, I have to wonder if if we had kept up that education and kept up the mysteries, if you will, and not just the degree mail. I, I've talked to some of the older guys too before they passed and had often wondered what do they do, how do they do, and that's where when I hear of a lodge doing doing degree work on their stated meeting nights, I think, oh, they're still a 1960s lodge. They haven't come out of that era <laughs> in some in some regards, because if if the only thing you're doing on a stated meeting night is degree work. And you don't have education if you don't have something else going on. If it's not a meaningful meeting besides degree work, then what what are you doing on degree on when you don't have a degree in your meeting, right? I mean, if I, I could I could see now that I know some lodges have multiple meetings a month, and mm -hmm. so I could maybe see that on a stated meeting night they might have a degree in place of some other business or something. But I know of lodges that only have one a month or less. And they do them on their degree nights or on their state of meeting nights. And I think, wow, that's what else am I, I guess, you know, if, if, if that's all you're getting together for now, maybe they're doing stuff in between other educational things in between that are non-stated, 
that would be okay with me as well if you're doing study groups and things like that. But if if you're only getting together for a degree, and then what? Then the guys, you just have to figure it out on your own? I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, like my lodge in Centralia meets once a month, like what you were saying. And there was a period of time there where they were doing exactly what you're saying. They were cramming the degrees onto the, and it's like, guys, you got three other weeks here, you know, that you're not doing anything. So why are we cramming everything all the way onto this fourth week? And um, because, and then what happened was, now this is in the past that the guys are saying, you know what? I just want to get home. You know, the hour is late. I just want to get home. So the fellowship, you know, so when the, the lodge started getting into the pattern to where you cram it all into one night and then you split as soon as the final gavel drops, the attendance dropped and the lodge started struggling. But as soon as you have a, a worshipful master or a crew that's in there that says, hey, let's spread this out a little bit, do degrees on specials, do some more education, and then have some for, more fellowship after the meeting, the attendance started going back up. And there, there was this notable pattern. And so our lodge is now starting to see that pattern. Actually, both of my lodges are seeing the pattern, and they're both benefiting from it as we speak today. And I don't see that deviating anytime soon, which is very encouraging. That's a question I was had thought about asking was, for your lodges, do you have a supper before or a fellowship afterwards or some how does that work so both both my lodge no i'm a member of a third one that's also very successful but i can't visit it too often because i I work too far away from it but with tonight on centralia uh yeah we do have nice dinners um ahead of time Uh, both both lodges uh, the dinners precede the meetings Uh, again with tonight i know it's more rural so it's not as sit down formalish as it is with centralia but the effect is the same. You know, you have that breaking bread ahead of time. The atmosphere is cool. Then we, you know, move upstairs or across and uh, hold our meetings. And then, but then afterwards, oftentimes we're kicking back and just kind of having a, a jovial discussion, kind of like I'm having right here. And then we um, head home as we head home. You know, some of us leave early because we got to get up early the next morning. And we have some, you know, they'll head, you know, they'll head over to a local bar or whatever, and they'll stay there till one, two in the morning. That's their call. You know, I'm not one of those guys, obviously, <laughs> but the options are there and it, and it works. Those guys are staying active. So I'm all in favor of whatever works. Do you think it's strictly social or is it, are they doing, are they discussing somewhat Masonic ideas or lodge things they can do better? Or is it just a couple of guys hanging out and talking about their day? Um, I don't know what they're, well, af, you know, afterward, well, there's a little bit of that, but a lot of that has to do with, hey, which way, you know, a lot of it's productive. This is working, you know, kind of like a medium long range plan. Sorry about that, Dave. <laughs> the long range plan thing, but that, you know, they say, hey, you know, this meeting is pretty cool. Hey, did you guys think about this idea? Or, and then they band, you know, brainstorming sessions. A lot of that happens after the meeting. Yeah. You know, you hear that amongst some of the guys, the younger guys, too. Which is pretty cool. Clayton and I run the long range planning committee together. That's why that was an inside joke. But <laughs> actually, we both shared it at one point. Yeah. Too. yeah. <laughs> so interesting, Matt. You were, I saw you were going to say something. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no. Sorry. I, 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 I saw you on so, mute. <laughs> certainly, nothing that is erudite or, or learned at all. Is the so I. Actually, I just have a dumb question, Clayton. How long have how long have you been a Mason? I just I don't even know. 
I joined March in March, March of 1996. I was 21 when I joined. So that'd be what? 27, about 27 years. Wow. So were you, was that as basically as early as you could join then? I know they changed that not too long ago. Well, it changed to 18 in our jurisdiction in about 1993. And I was 19. So technically I could have joined as early as 1993. Um, but I just, I was still in college and I really wanted to focus on my uh, academics at that point. And sure. then I got a job that established. Then when I got everything established, then I joined. That way I can focus on getting my degree work done properly. And yeah, the guys were waiting for me and they were patient. Just <laughs> cool. It was really cool. Well, they didn't have to be too patient, only a couple of years. <laughs> so is that, did you join uh, mainly because of the family connection then or? Yeah. Yeah. My uh, great uncle was a police officer in Tenino. And then his nephew, my, uh, my uncle, um, you know, he joined back in 1983. And so, um, that, but the, his neighbor uh, was a Pearl Harbor survivor from World War II, and uh, CJ had known me since I was a kid. Uh, he conducted me into degrees, and then some of the other guys, um, the owners of the local pharmacy, had known me since I was a kid too. It was really an honor to be able to have these guys confer a degree, and that—that's another thing that kept me because I'd known these guys for so long. So it wasn't like a bunch of strangers from another generation to where I couldn't. They were a different generation, different culture, but. I'd know them. They were, they were family to me. So it made things a lot easier. They weren't strangers. So like with Centralia, it, you know, I, I visited Centralia from time to time when I was, you know, in my early twenties, when I was, you know, a member of Tenino, but I never had that. It, it took a few years for me to finally get to know those guys. And then I was able to fit in with that lodge better too. And then I eventually joined it. Well, that's great. You know, like uh, it's it's that's 27 years. It's a long time. And, you know, over the years, you've definitely seen some uh, evolutions in, in the three lodges that you're involved with, I'm sure. Um, but it, it does go to show, I believe that, you know, through the conversation that if we if we can put the effort into having some sort of structured education program in your lodges so that's more than just a meeting that's going to give the meat that, that some guys are looking for. And, you know, uh, on the other hand, we have to also temper that with um, not making it excessively long so that the guys who are there for that fraternal aspect, you know, aren't nodding off in the sidelines, right. And um, actually contributing instead. Right. You know, so uh, I think that uh, <clears throat> it's, it's been a great review of, of the, of the work and and I do really want to thank you for making the time to send us the information or the email and the correspondence on it because you know it's uh, like everything else we we say in lodge it's it's not about finding the time it's about making the time and um, that made it a quality experience and I'm I'm really glad you did that thanks Clayton thank you thank you for having me it's fun well, a, I want to make, I want to yap before I say goodbye. <laughs> but the, uh, I, I do want to say, I feel sometimes like, as, as Masons, and I do this all the time. I'm, I'm certainly not pointing the finger at anyone other than myself. That we sometimes make a distinction between fraternalism and, and the self-improvementy. I, I hesitate to say esoteric, but the, the work part of Masonry, if you will. 
that does not always exist. Sometimes working on yourself and talking with each other about that leads to the fraternalism part and vice versa, the getting to know someone socially and, and knowing uh, where they're coming from and you know what their background is and that sort of thing makes it easier sometimes to discuss where what it is you're doing to improve yourself and that sort of thing. So I think they're not exclusive necessarily. It's not like a we all go into a room and sit there and then walk away kind of thing. It's they're they go hand in hand to some degree. So. Yeah. And and those meetings at the pub at the pub after, they're solving all of Masonry's problems there. That's Guarantee exactly right. it. That's exactly right. You know. right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those meetings, those later night meetings, you know, before zero tolerance came in. You know, we used to solve all the problems at those meetings. Right. <laughs> Just like we have on this podcast. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So with that, um, oh sorry, David. Nope. Um, I guess we're approaching the, the end of our, our second episode here with Clayton. So um I want to echo what Steve said. Thank you, Clayton, for well, a for your your input and your thoughts on our incessant yammering. So <laughs> thank you very much for that. And just as importantly, thank you for agreeing to be here. Uh, we appreciate you you coming on the show and and talking to us and uh, giving a slightly different opinion. Someone to counterbalance Jared. <laughs> it's the way you want to look at it, but no, that's good. I thank you guys for having me on the show. I I'll continue to. I'll download this episode, you know, and 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 scream at myself or think, "Good God, did I say that?" You know, or something. <laughs> Way well, you probably probably not to pull the curtain back too far, but you'll probably have a couple of weeks before you before you can listen to it. But yeah, good. No, that that's exactly cool. So, guys, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, and on on behalf of uh, Stephen and Jared and David and myself, uh, and and I'll I'll say it, and on behalf of Clayton as well, thank you all for listening to the Working Tools Podcast. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Goodbye.